I'm Jim Brown, your Bible teacher here at Grace and Truth Ministries. I'm teaching on predestination. I'm seeing things about it that I have never seen before. And I've, I've got all these t-shirts that I wear uh, out in public, especially in the summertime. And they've got all of these sayings on it. I've got one that says, predestination is true. If you don't believe that, you're antichrist. The Bible says, he that denieth Christ is antichrist. Deny is the word arneomai, means to contradict. A-R-N-E-O-M-A-I means to contradict. If you contradict the Word of God and you believe and you believe that predestination is not true and the Bible says for whom he did foreknow he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his Son. The Bible says again he had chosen us in him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and without blame before him in love having predestinated us unto the adoption of children by Jesus Christ unto himself according to the good pleasure of his will it's according to God's good pleasure God's good pleasure and we have been having been predestinated according to according to uh, having predestinated us unto adoption adoption it's up to the parent that goes to the that goes to the orphanage as to whether they want to adopt someone or not they'll pick one kid out of another it's not up to the kid say I picked this parent Adoption is the word huothosia. Huothosia comes from two words. Huyas. And huyas is the word sons. This is what we've been predestinated to. Antithemae. Huothosia is a construction of huyas and T-I-T-H-E-M-I. Tithemai means to place or to level. Place sons into a family. God's predestinated us to be placed as sons in the family of God, and he does the placing. And he does that by organizing our thoughts and everything we do. Are we robots? I've got a t-shirt that says, predestination is true we are robots I just found it I hadn't worn it in years I didn't even know know I had it and walked into a bank and a fellow said what does that mean I said well and I started explaining it to him I'm explaining it to you this morning we are robots spiritual robots of God now does that mean we don't have any feeling no it don't mean that Does that mean that we don't have to be willing to do God's will? Yes, we have to be willing, but we're not willing by nature. There's none that seeketh after God. There's none righteous, no, not one. You don't have any ability in you unless God puts the will in you. Where does the will come from? Psalms 110.3, Thy people, thy is a possessive pronoun, 
God's people shall be willing in the day of thy power when God comes into us and puts the will. Wait a minute. I think that's a robot, isn't it? Aren't robots programmed? I've got all kinds of shirts. I've got them that says, uh, I've got shirts that says, God does not love everybody. He doesn't because he said he loved Jacob and hated Esau before they were born, before they they had done any good or evil. I've got a t-shirt that says, God hates. He says, God says he created evil. He hates all workers of iniquity. And he said, I create evil. I, the Lord, do all these things. People don't like that. If you contradict those things, Second John, Second John, Second John, two twenty two, two twenty two says, "He that denieth Christ is antichrist." If the Bible says something and you don't like it, and you say it don't mean that. Victor said he talked to a preacher the other day and said the Bible says that God creates evil. And the guy said, no, it doesn't say that anywhere. (laughs) It's funny. And then Victor showed it to him. And he said, it don't mean that. I didn't know that was there. It means exactly that. We are programmed. God has programmed everything. Isn't that what you do to a robot? A robot is a machine. I'm reading it to you off the internet. Is a machine. Are we kind of like machines? Yeah, we are. Especially one programmable by a computer. Well, a computer has to have a power source. Now, they've got all kinds of power sources for a computer. you got electricity. You can plug it in. Or you got batteries. Now they got advanced batteries. They've even got light coming into a computer like these computerized cars that will run on sunlight. They've got it set up where it can it can store that energy from the sun and run it. So there has to be a power source to a computer. Power source. The power source is God. And a computer is programmed. Let me read this to you. It has to be programmed. Are we programmed? Oh, absolutely. Do we have to do what God says? Do we have to obey our power source? Yeah, we do. How are are we to obey our power source? Well, we're not willing. We don't have any power in ourselves. Paul said how to perform... I don't have a power source in me, in my outer man. How to perform katergazomai. Katergazomai means to, comes from kata and ergon. Ergon, we get our word energy from that. That's what I'm talking about. Where do we have the energy to fully perform? To fully perform Katagadzimai, the word of God in our life. We don't have it. 
He has to put it in us, and we are energized with intensity. We're energized. What is it that energizes the truth in us? The Bible tells us. Faith, Galatians 5 and 6, faith worketh, worketh, energeo. This is also comes from that same word, E-N-E-R-G-E-O. We get our word energy from that. Anything with energy has to have a power source. It has to come from somewhere. Where does it come from? It comes from God. It doesn't come from you. There's none good and nobody seeks God. And there's none righteous. And if nobody is righteous, how does righteousness get into us? It's something we do. But if we do righteousness, according to 1 John 3 and 7... He said, be not deceived. He that doeth righteousness is righteous. The fact that we have to do, that has to come from an energy source. It has to come from a being. It has to come from an existence. To be means to exist. If you be, if you're a being, then you exist. But you only exist because of somebody that's caused you to exist as a part of the family of God, and it has to come from a power source. Well, the power is God. Let me read a little bit about this robot. A machine, especially one programmable by a computer. Everything has been computerized by God before the foundation of the world. Everything is working the way he wants it to work. When you stop and think about Isaiah 46 and 10, that shows you that God's got a great computer and it is his people. When the Bible says God has declared, to declare something means to speak it into existence. He has declared the end from the beginning And from ancient times, everything that's not yet done in everybody's life, everything, car wrecks, tickets, sickness, evil, good, a day at the beach, a day that you get the coronavirus, everything has been declared by God. He's declared the end from the beginning. And from ancient times, from times before the foundation of the world, everything that's not yet done in your life, if this is today, and all these things are going to be done, it's already been set up in your computer of the body you're in to do it. You say, but I got the will to get out here in my car and turn left or turn right and go to the grocery store or turn right and go down to some business down here. Everybody has a different disposition, and you're deposed. To depose something means it's set in your mind to do a certain thing. I've told the story about when I was about 23 or 22. I was working in Fort Worth, Texas, about 1962. And I was driving down 28th Street going west. 
and I got to Layton Avenue and a little church that I was going to. I was 22 at the time, something like that, 23. And I nearly got through the light. And because of what I did that day is the reason I am here right now. I nearly got through the light and just I was under the light and it was green and I said I think I'll go by and see brother Jay and I went I was in a 49 Ford Maroon that was my car I went down there about a block pulled into the driveway of the church went in and asked the secretary is brother Jay here Jay White was his name she said no he's gone I said, okay, we'll tell him I come by. Walked out in the hallway and I heard somebody going ding, 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 ding. And I knew somebody was tuning the piano down the auditorium. So I went down there and sat down and watched this guy. When he got through tuning it, he started playing the piano and singing. I stepped up beside him. Now, this is all due to a right turn. God had it programmed into my life. And... It's, that's what a computer is. It's programming. He works all things after the counts of his own will. In everything give thanks for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. I've told this story so many times. If there's anything in my life, that's one of the most magnificent things that's ever happened to me. When I turned that corner and the guy playing the piano that had got through tuning it, his name was Dalton Beck. And I stepped up and started singing tenor to what he was singing. He said, you can really sing tenor. I said, yeah, I've been told that. He said, I got a guy that can get with us and we could start singing as a group. And he got Lee, a guy named Lee Gann, got him to join us and we started rehearsing. It's all due to a right turn. And we started singing all over North Texas. I even met some people that I that became famous in the future, sang back this is back in sixty two, sixty three. We'd go to singings and Larry Gatlin and his brothers and his mother would be there. Larry was about fourteen and his brothers were eight and nine, something like that. And we'd sing in the some high school with the Gatlin family. Larry was strutting around like he does now. And then we'd go to another auditorium and we'd be booked in with the Southern Airs from Paris, Texas. And Dwayne Allen, who is the lead singer for the Oak Ridge Boys, was about 17 or 18 and he'd hang around us and we'd talk and carry on. And Dwayne became famous and, of course, the Bible says, Bless you when men shall reproach you, which means to be infamous. Dwayne, you need to listen to this infamous you're not blessed when you're famous anyway we sung all over texas and we were in a concert we're booked in with the stamps quartet at one concert and jd summer was ahead of that and terry blackwood was singing with him and terry heard me sing he said the blackwoods are starting this is all due to a right turn and terry said uh the Blackwoods are starting a new young Blackwood group. It'll be called the Junior Blackwood Brothers. 
but they don't have a tenor singer in the family. And it's not a very good singing group. My singing group was a good group. And so I turned him down that day. Well, my group kind of blew all to pieces and it went the way of everybody else. And I called James Blackwood, who was probably him and J.D. Summer were the most famous gospel singers in America at that time, as back in the early 60s. And, and I told James I'd like to go to uh, Memphis and join this young Blackwood group. Without that right turn, this none of this would have happened. None of it. So I, I went into uh, I went to meet James downtown Fort Worth when the Blackwood Brothers were coming to Fort Worth. The Blackwood Brothers at that time were the most famous group in gospel music. Period. And I thought I was going to go somewhere. Well, I went to Memphis, joined them. I thought I'd joined a bunch of children. They were all 18, 19 years old. And I was more experienced than that. And they were like children out on the road. It was kind of funny. Anyway, Terry had recommended me. And I stayed with them a year or so. And then I joined Ron and Blackwood. And Ron, I had encouraged Ron. Now, for those of you that are listening, I'm the guy that got Ron Blackwood into gospel music, not the Blackwood family. They didn't like him. He was a thug. He was a punk. He was in trouble all the time. He'd been in jail. And it's a long story. But since I encouraged Ronnie, I said, he and I'd be riding around in a car, and he would say, what does this sound like, Jimmy? Amazing grace, how sweet the sound. I'd say, Ronnie, you are tone deaf, but you don't have to be you don't have to be a good singer to be in gospel music. I said, you got a lot of hustle. It was Ronnie's father, R.W. Blackwood, who had built the Blackwood Brothers to a huge name in the world. He got them on Arthur Godfrey's Talent Scouts in the early 50s, and that was the same thing as America's Got Talent today, or whatever that is, The Voice. So they won that and became world famous. But Ronnie lost his, he lost his, his uh, inheritance when James and the other Blackwoods bought out his mother's interest in the Blackwood brothers. So Ronnie got in all kinds of trouble, went to jail, uh, been in prison, and none of the Blackwoods wanted to have anything to do with him. And when he would come up to the Blackwood brothers record shop, I've never given this testimony on tape. When Johnny would come up to the Blackwoods record shop, they'd all say, all the older guys, James and Doyle and Roy. Well, Roy was a good guy. He was the older brother. But James and Doyle would say, we don't want to talk to him. We don't want to see him. And most people think because the Blackwoods were who they were, that's how. I'm telling you what the, that right turn got me into. That was the arrangement of God. That's why I'm here. So I became friends with Ronnie, and he was in all kinds of trouble all the time. He had pimped girls. He had gotten in fights in bars. He had cut one man's throat with a metal knife. He was a hairdresser. And the Blackwoods didn't want anything to do with him. Nothing. And I befriended him. And I'd tell him 
All you have to do is get your piano player that can teach you the baritone part one note at a time, and you could have your own group. And then I told him, I said, my younger brother is coming back to Memphis, and he's going to, he's he's not going to be doing anything, and he's bringing a bass singer with him that can sing baritone. I said, you can start your own group, and that's exactly how he got into gospel music. It wasn't by the Blackwoods' help. It was by me. So any of you people get mad at Ronnie out there, it was my fault because he came in. Because, boy, he did some real dealings when he got in. But he was a super hustler. If Ronnie had been honest, he could have out-promoted anybody in that business. But he just couldn't stay honest. He was angry at losing his inheritance. Now, that's the truth. Then Ronnie went over the Harvester's out of a big name gospel group in North Carolina had retired and they bought the group and became the new harvesters. And I had a group I'd organized, I left Ron and went over to North Carolina with Ronnie and he was playing a bunch of T V shows that the harvesters had and he was putting me on them. All because of a right turn. I would never have been in this if it hadn't been for that right turn. I stayed there several years. I was asked to come back to Nashville by one of the most famous singers in gospel music, Jake Hess. He said, I'm starting the biggest and best booking agency in Nashville, and I'm going to have only the best singers. So I'm going to have the Imperials and the Couriers, and I want the Lancers to be a part of that. When I come over here, and he didn't have anything. And I ended up singing for a few more years, quitting, going into real estate. Stayed in that some years, was very successful in it. And then I started getting real sick and ended up in the hospital. And God was dealing with me. And that's when I ended up out here. This all goes back to one right turn in a 49 Ford in Fort Worth, just as sure as I'm talking to you. This is the arrangement of God. And I started this ministry not as a ministry. It was a Bible class in my home. God stuck me in the hospital. I was sick, deathly ill. thought I was going to die. And I said, Lord... It's all my fault. I wanted to blame all those gospel singers. I wanted to blame all those real estate moguls and brokers. And this was you raising up these people as a sword to cut me to the ground. I said, the fault is mine. I quit blaming them. There's more to this story. I'm telling you what that right turn in a 49 Ford maroon colored did to me when I turned right that day. And the only reason I'm here, and this has grown from a Bible class in my house over on Irvin, it has grown. We're on about 375 towns and cities on TV. We're on the Internet all over the world. I've got 4,000, over 4,000 master messages, and I didn't get along with gospel singers. Most of them were heathens. They drank, they cussed, they chased women. And you guys know that. And I don't really care what you think now. So take that.
that's what a right turn did in my life. And it was an arrangement of God to get me here to teach to you. And I've got people all over America. I wouldn't be sitting here teaching in the Greek if it wasn't for that right turn. But it took me all over America. And I would have never met Dalton. I would have never sang with the ambassadors. There would have been no Lancers. There would have been no no working with the harvesters or the stamps or and all these people it wouldn't have been but God brought me here to make me realize I was climbing the wrong ladder does God arrange for you to climb the wrong ladder yes what was he doing with me he gave me a super big tenor voice I was at the bank one day about 20 years ago and I walked in, and Dwayne Allen, who sings with the Oak Ridge Boys, as I walked in, he turned and looked at me and told the banker, he said, now there's the singer right there, pointed at me and said that. And he knew that. It's not the best talent that goes to the top. It's who you know and the connections you have, and that's the truth, and you guys know that out there now. That's what a computer is about. We are living computers, and the evil that I went through, God ordained that so he could whip me and scourge me and nearly kill me and bring about this ministry. And this ministry has been going for nearly 32 years because I turned right in a 49 Ford. Now, this is a, a computer is... Programmed? Are we programmed? Well, let's look over here in Hebrews. Let's see if we are programmed. Does God have to deal with us to cause us? Does he have a power source that he gets behind us and makes us obey? God put me through all these trials and fire and persecution. I got so much persecution from the stars of gospel music. Uh, the big superstars told my little brother, you go to your brother and tell him he's not coming into the big circuit. Tell him he can't come in because I was saying things about him from the stage. And uh, they know that. And now I don't care. I want to rebuke them for their sin and for the way they live. In fact, I want to rebuke all of Nashville and all the country stars. If you are famous... You're an enemy of God. The Bible says, Blessed are ye when men shall reproach you. Reproach is the word O-N-E-I-D-I-Z-O. Aniidzo means to be infamous. It's the exact opposite of famous. You cannot be famous and be God's friend. Whosoever be a friend of the world is the enemy of God. And friendship with the world is enmity against God. Enmity, ekthra. 
Ekthra means hostile. If you get along, and you cannot climb the ladder of success without being friends with the world. You have to be popular. People have to like you. They got to like your singing. They got to like your real estate sales. They got to like everything about you. Otherwise, you're God's enemy. I've quoted the verse so many times. Oh, in Luke the 6th chapter, Woe unto you, woe unto you, woe, O-U-A-I. Woe, it's a cry of damnation. Woe unto you when all men speak well of you. You cannot have a popular song on the charts without men liking you. We're in this coronavirus, and I'm talking about the coronavirus. This thing is probably not going to go away, and this is not all the judgment of God. God said, if you're not obedient to me, I'll send the sword, the famine, the pestilence, and the coronavirus is a pestilence. So was AIDS. So was Ebola. So was polio. Polio was frightening in the early 50s. I was around. We were going to a church. I will never forget in Fort Worth. I was about 13 or 12. And we was going to a Baptist church. And the word was in the church that Dwayne Radney had gotten polio. And everybody's going, <gasps> it was a terrifying thing. And finally, Dwayne died. I never forget his name. People said, you can't go around him. You catch polio, you die. All of this is the judgment of God. We are robots. God puts us through these things. Does he program us? Well, let's look and see, does he? And does he insist that we abide and believe his programming? Yes. In Hebrews... In Hebrews, well, before I go there, let me go to 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians. This is how God programs us. 2 Corinthians, chapter 3, verse 2. Ye are our epistle written in our hearts, known and read of all men. For as much as you are manifestly declared to be the epistle of Christ, ministered by us, written not with ink, what do you do to a robot? What do you do to a computer? You program it. Is God programming us? Yes, when he writes in our hearts. And we have no choice if it takes him 50 years of beating us, us elect, not everybody in the world. They'll get a beating, but it won't be to cause them to to come to him. They're vessels of wrath fitted to destruction. That's the majority of the world. Written not with ink, but with the spirit of the living God. He writes his word in our hearts. Does he require that we obey it? Absolutely. Every time he uses an imperative mood, a command that that is insistent, imperative. When he says strive, humble, when you humble under the hand of God, do you obey him? Oh, yes, you do. You obey the program that's in your heart that he wrote there. 
humble. Tepanua, T-A-P-E-I-N-O-O. How long does it, that word means to level self or level mountains and hills. There's two mountains in the Bible, Zion, God's mountain, and then there is Babylon, the mother of all idolatry, Revelation 17 and 5. Do you have to obey these words? Yes, you do. You got, the time's going to come. When Jesus comes back, he's going to come back in flaming fire, taking vengeance on all those that, that know not God and that obey not the truth. You have to be obedient. You have to be obedient to the computer that's written in your heart. That's a, that's a must. Imperatives are absolutely required. Look over here in it's written on no longer on tables of stone but on fleshy tables of the heart you will obey that if God's written it in your heart but there's only a few that is written in their hearts because straight is the gate and narrow is the way that leads to eternal life and only a few will find it few oligos a puny number will obey God but everybody is in God's computer program everybody He's got vessels of wrath that he has fitted to destruction. He's catortizo them to destruction. He's a fully accomplished them. They were born, born to be taken and destroyed in Second Peter 2.12. They were born, Ganea, they were born to be taken and destroyed. They were born to go to hell. They're a part of God's great computer program God started this thing from the beginning before the foundation of the world and I've gone through before the foundation of the world so many times Christ was slain before the foundation of the world for an exact people but he was slain so they could obey him when he birthed them by his will we were born not of blood nor the will of the flesh nor the will of man but of God's will and God's will is his computer and he hit enter before the foundation of the world and everything's going click, 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 click. And everything, including the evil, is of God. Nothing is out of the control of God. Nothing, when a man wills to do something evil, he said, I make peace and create this evil. I've got a paper on God creating evil. It's right here. And he speaks of the evil that will come upon Israel, saith the Lord, in Jeremiah 2 and 3. And he says, I'm the one that will do it. Jeremiah 4 and 6. I will bring evil up from the north. God says, I'll bring the evil from the north upon Israel and great destruction. God says, that's going to come from me. Then he says in Jeremiah 6 and 1. This is all a part of God's computer program. If, you, if people think Bill Gates is good at computers, not near as good as God. God warns, God knows every program there is. God warns the tribe of Benjamin in southern Judah, flee from the midst of Jerusalem, for evil appears out of the north, and great destruction. Thus hath the Lord said, Hew down trees and cast them out against Jerusalem. He's telling Babylon to cast 
a great bulk war against Jerusalem and God's doing it and putting in the mind of Nebuchadnezzar. Jeremiah 6 and 19. God speaks and says, Hear, O earth, I will bring evil upon this people. Jeremiah 6 and 19. That's God's computer. And people can't do right when God doesn't put it in their heart. Thus saith the Lord, Jeremiah 11 11, I will bring evil upon them which they shall not be able to escape. I do the evil. Jeremiah eleven twenty two and 23. Thus saith the Lord, I will punish Judah and Jerusalem. The young men shall die by the sword. Their sons and their daughters shall die by famine. How about coronavirus, COVID-19? I will bring evil upon the men of Anathoth, another name for Israelites. Jeremiah 16 and 10. This is God's computer program. This thing is not over. If you think coronavirus is going to go away, this is the judgment of God. When you've got disease upon the world, it's God. He works all things after the counsel of his own will. We're to be thankful in everything, even the coronavirus. The people of Israel shall cry out, Wherefore hath the Lord pronounced all this evil against us? Jeremiah 16 and 10. And what is our iniquity? And what is our sin? That's like they're talking like we don't know what we've done other than worship these sun and tree gods. We have committed it. What is it we've committed against the Lord? Jeremiah 18 and 8. He says, if this nation will repent, but it could fix their minds so they couldn't repent. He fixed their minds in his great computer. He said, did Israel fall there in Romans 11, 11, merely to fall? God forbid. They fell and they did all this evil so salvation could come to the Gentile church. He said, if they will repent, I will turn from the evil that I thought to do from them. But they won't repent because God fixed their minds not to. Jeremiah 18 and 11. Thus saith the Lord, I frame. The word frame is the same word as potter. I frame, I determine evil against you, Jerusalem. People say, God wouldn't create evil. He, he said this, I've got that about a hundred or more times in this paper. I frame evil against you and devise a device against you Israel, Jerusalem and Judah. God says I do that. Jeremiah 19 and 3 Behold I will bring evil upon this place, upon Jerusalem which whosoever heareth his ears shall tingle and I will bring the evil God says. This is a part of his programming. I am bringing evil upon Jerusalem and Judah that's whosoever heareth this, both of his ears shall tingle. God says, I'm the one that's doing it. It's in my program. This Everything that's happening in the world is the will of God. It's a great computer. When you get to griping and complaining about something that's happening in your life or get the wrong attitude, that's not the attitude to have as a believer You've got an inner and an outer man. The outer man wants to fight the inner man. The outer man is the flesh. Paul said that in Romans 7. 
The inner man is Christ in you. And that's a battle that's going on. This flesh wants to fight righteousness. When you get to be in your 80s like I am, you give up. You say, Lord, I don't want to fight you anymore. When you're fighting the world, it's actually God's hand you're fighting. Because he said, David said, the wicked is your hand, Lord, that you raise up against me to cut me down. I don't fight people anymore for doing me wrong. I just say, well, this is the will of God. If you want to fight me, you go ahead. You won't get a fight from me. Jeremiah 23, 11 and 12. I will bring evil upon them, upon the prophet and the priest of Jerusalem, saith the Lord. Then Jeremiah 24. God says, 24, 3 through 5. God says to Jeremiah, what do you see? And Jeremiah says, I see very good figs and very evil figs. They are so evil. God says to Jeremiah, like these good figs, I will acknowledge them that submit to the king of Babylon. I got to take you into Babylon for 70 years because for because for. 70 sets of the sabbatical years, you never kept Sabbath, you never left the land alone. So I've got to put you over here, and I'm going to have Babylon come over and have the king take you over there for 70 years, and then you're going to be released to come back, and the land will have enjoyed her Sabbath, and the land will be fertile again. He didn't have them carried away so that he could destroy them. He had them carried away because they wouldn't leave the land alone. I send Israel out of this place into the land of the Chaldeans for their good. That's what he said in Jeremiah 24, 3 through 5. Jeremiah 25, 29. For lo, I begin to bring evil upon the city which is called by my name, Jerusalem. And should you be utterly unpunished? He says, I'm bringing the evil upon Jerusalem. It's going to come in the form of Nebuchadnezzar. And he, I'm going to have him come down and destroy you, Israel, because you went after these other gods. Jeremiah 26 and 3. God tells Jeremiah to stand in the court of the Lord's house. Tell everyone that comes from the cities of Judah all the words that I command. And do not diminish the words in any fashion. Here is what you will say. If you hearken and turn from your evil, I will turn from the evil which I purpose. Jeremiah is telling the people, God will turn from the evil that he purposes to do unto you. But if you don't turn, which he's going to harden your heart and you won't, he's going to purpose that evil against you. Then Jeremiah twenty six thirteen. Amend your ways and doings, and the Lord will turn from the evil that he has pronounced upon you. But they didn't, and he hardened their hearts so they wouldn't, because they didn't fall simply to fall. They fell because God arranged it in his computer that they'd fall. So salvation would come to the Gentile church. Boy, that's hard to get a hold of. You know why I believe it? Because the Bible says it, not because I can figure it out. And then, and then in Jeremiah thirty-two twenty-three, Jeremiah says that God gave Israel 
this land flowing with milk and honey. And he says, They came into the land and possessed it, and they obeyed not thy voice, neither walked in thy law. They have done nothing that you commanded them, so God brings evil upon them when they're in the land. Then he goes on to say, There's so much to this evil that God does. Jeremiah 32, 32. Because of all the evil of Israel, they have provoked me to anger. People say God wouldn't get angry at his people. He certainly will. 32.42, Jeremiah. For thus saith the Lord, like as I have brought all this evil on this people Israel, so will I bring upon them all the good that I have promised them. That's when I cause them to repent. Jeremiah thirty-five seventeen. Thus saith the Lord God of Israel, Behold, I will bring upon Judah and upon all the inhabitants of the Jerusalem all the evil that I have pronounced against them, because I have spoken unto them, but they have not heard, and I have called unto them, and they have not answered, but I harden their hearts where they can't hear. God says, As Isaiah, you preach to them, and I'll give them ears they can't hear and eyes they can't see. And, and Isaiah said, how long shall I preach, Lord? And he said, tell that if the land is empty and waste and I call Nebuchadnezzar to carry him away. It's all in God's programming. Jeremiah 36.3 It may be that the house of Judah will hear all the evil which I purpose to do unto them. Purpose is the word kashab. It means to plait or to weave or fabricate. God says, I'll fabricate evil against Jerusalem. Jeremiah 36, 30 and 31. Thus saith the Lord of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, he shall have none to sit upon the throne of David, and his dead body shall be cast out in the dead heat. That was the king of southern Israel. In the night of frost, I will punish him and his seed and his servants for their iniquity. I will bring upon them and upon the inhabitants of Jerusalem and upon the men of Judah all the evil that I have pronounced against them. You think God don't create evil? Are you kidding? God says, I'll make peace and create evil. I, the Lord, do all these things. See, the reason you don't believe that if you don't believe it is because you don't know who God is. You see, I don't think God would do that. He says, but your thoughts aren't my thoughts and you can't think like I think. Jeremiah 39, 16. Thus saith the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, behold, I will bring words upon this city for evil and not for good. And they shall be accomplished in that day before thee. And it will all be from me, he said. Because they went after Baal and the grove and Shemash and Molech and all the gods of the Egyptians and the gods of the Amorites and the Hittites and the Perizzites. Israel worshipped all of that in the Old Testament. So God scattered them. Jeremiah 40 and 2. Nebuzaradan, the captain of Nebuchadnezzar's, said to Jeremiah, the Lord thy God hath pronounced this evil upon this place. Nebuchadnezzar was a pagan general of Nebuchadnezzar's. And he said, it was the Lord your God 
that has caused Nebuchadnezzar to come in. And I'm his chief commander, and we have leveled Jerusalem to the ground. Your God did that, Jeremiah. What a God. And people say he wouldn't create evil. This is just a few verses. I can't get to all of them. Jeremiah 42 and 10. Jeremiah called the princes of Israel and Judah and all the people unto him, saying, If you will not abide in the land, then will I build you and not pull you down. I will plant you and not pluck you up, for I will repent of the evil that I have done unto you. He had already done a lot of evil. He said, but you've got to repent. But he hardened their hearts so they wouldn't. People say, well, why would God say if you repent? There was no question that they would. He said they won't. But I'll show them. I'll tell them if you can repent, it'll have to be by your will. And you don't have any will to repent. Jeremiah 42, 17. God says that everyone who tries to escape going into Babylon. See, God says, I'm going to take you over into. Here's my program. Here's God's program. Let me show you. Here's the Lord's program. He says, and this is a program. This is programmed into God's computer. Here's the program. You went, you went for 510 years going after Baal in the Grove, which is the same system that was brought into the church and called the Christ Mass by Constantine, or Christmas. That was in 325 A.D. And you go after Baal in the Grove and Shemosh and Molech and, Aster- and at all the Astaroth, the female deities, and Venus and Osiris and Isis and all the gods of Egypt and Remon, the, gods, the god of, of the... Uh, Syrians, and you went after Baal and the grove, the gods of the of what we call Lebanon, or the gods of Tyre and Sidon, and you went after all the gods of Babylon. Israel went after all these gods, and says, God says, I'll scatter you. So he scatters northern Israel by Assyria. And all this was brought in the church and renamed the Christ Mass. And because you went after these gods, and they did some of that in the book of Judges, went after these gods, after Baal and the Grove. Because for these 800 plus years, you kept going after all of these gods, I'm going to scatter you. But I'm not going to scatter you to destroy you. I'm going to put southern Judah over here in Babylon. Judah will go to Babylon and it has a purpose. I'm going to put you in Babylon for 70 years. This is the whole purpose. Put you in Babylon for 70 years. The reason being because all the time they were a nation that had 70 sets of sabbatical years. Every seven years, they had to leave the land alone, let it lie fallow. That means it won't be plowed and it won't be reaped. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven. 
And he said, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. No reaping, no planting. Anything that grows of itself belongs to the poor and the needy and for your cattle and for your animals. And that's it. You can go out there and pick something, but you can't harvest it. They said, we are out of your mind. We're not going to do that. So they went for 70 sets of these sabbatical years. God says, I'm going to put you in Babylon for 70 years. That way, that way the land will have enjoyed these Sabbaths or these sabbatical years and it will replenish the nutrients. The nutrients... It'll replace the nutrients in the ground and you can come back and grow your cups again and you can resume the sabbatical years. But they they didn't serve God. And he said, don't go over to Egypt. If you go to Egypt, look for protection for the Egyptian Pharaoh. He is nothing compared to Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon. He's the ruler of the world. You go over here to Egypt looking to get away from all of this judgment God says I'll send a soldier after you he might be some might be some Babylonian soldier I'll send a soldier and he'll kill you over here in Egypt he might even know what he's doing go over to Babylon I've got a computer program and my program is to have you stay in Babylon to stay in Babylon for 70 years. You can find that in Jeremiah, the 29th chapter. You can find that in Jeremiah, the 25th chapter, where he says, you're going to be there 70 years, and that I'll touch the heart of these kings that have carried you away, Nebuchadnezzar, Cyrus, king of Persia, I've touched Artaxerxes, and they'll give decrees for you to go back to your land, and it will have restored the nutrients. That's just like it's like Mount St. Helens in Washington. That was such a disaster, that volcano that spewed out all those ashes back in the 70s. They say that up there now, when you go into that area, that all the growth is lush. It's green everywhere because those ashes fertilize the land. So God says, I didn't take you away to destroy you. I'm going to put you over here. I am not going to forget my people. I'll put you over there for 70 years and then they'll come back. If you don't come back, which they didn't, because God hardened their heart, he said, I'm going to measure out these 77, 70 times 7. And that's another story. That's the 70 weeks of Daniel. And 69 of those weeks from the going forth of the commandment to restore and build Jerusalem in Nehemiah 2... That's where Artaxerxes gives the command to go rebuild Jerusalem until Messiah the Prince. That's in Luke 19, Luke the 19th chapter, when Christ comes in Jerusalem as the Prince to be crowned King, and they take him as crucifying as the Passover Lamb. And he says that 69 of those weeks, seven weeks, three score, and two weeks, or 69 weeks of years, 483 years, will have passed. And that at the end of time, the last 70th week will come about. And I believe that's not very far away. And this coronavirus is a part of the picture of the end of time. I believe we're sitting on the verge of eternity. 
I don't believe it's far away. And that's why he says in this verse that I was reading. Which one was it here? Uh, he says, Jeremiah 35. Was it what? Jeremiah 35? No, huh? Jeremiah 44, I think. Oh, let me read 42. God says that everyone, 42 and 17. God says that everyone who tries to escape going into Babylon, where he insists they shall go by fleeing to Egypt, they shall die by the sword, the famine, the pestilence, that none shall escape from the evil that I will bring upon them. You can't escape God's judgment of scattering you to Babylon. He says, I want you to go to Babylon. It's in my program. I'm not going to forsake you in Babylon. A lot of you are going to be killed when, they, when the Babylonian king comes in and levels the temple and levels Jerusalem. But it's my program. Stay, go over to Babylon, and then after 70 years, I'll call you back. And he does that in Ezra, the first chapter, to go back and rebuild the temple. And in the second chapter, less than 50,000 went back, and there were millions that were carried over. So he's going to have to take those 70 weeks. Now, let me read some more. How much time do I have, Mike? Let me read some more of this evil that God does. People say, God would greed evil. You're ignorant. You just don't know who God is. You think God is a real nice guy. He's not. People, I've had people say, he's not just some uh, heavenly police officer walking up and down the suing who he can punish. Yes, he is. Yes, he is. The prophets called him a great, a mighty, and a terrible God. That's what they called him. All right. He says, Thus saith the Lord, 44, Jeremiah 44, 2 and 3. Thus saith the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, you have seen all the evil that I have brought that I have brought upon Jerusalem. I brought it. I brought it by the hand of Nebuchadnezzar and his his commanding general Nebuchadnezzar. And Nebuchadnezzar chased down Jeremiah and said, Jeremiah, Nebuchadnezzar told me to take care of you. That you're a real honorable man. You tried to warn these people. He said, would you like to come to Babylon? We'll give you land. You'll be a free man. You can own property. You can own lands. Or you can stay here. And Jeremiah told Nebuchadnezzar, and I'll just stay with the poor people. They left the poor people there. And Jeremiah said, I'll stay with here with them to help take care of them. And upon the cities of Judah, behold, this day they are desolation, and no man dwelleth therein because of their wickedness, going after Baal in the grove, ignoring God's laws, which they have committed to provoke me to anger when they went to serve other gods. Jeremiah forty four eleven. Thus saith the Lord, the God of Israel, Behold, I will set my face against you, Israel, for evil, and cut off all of Judah. Boy, the words of God in the Old Testament are not something to be trifled with.
I'm afraid I trifled against God for a long time. Jeremiah 44, 27. Behold, I will watch over them, Israel, for evil and not for good. And all the men of Judah that are in the land of Egypt shall be consumed by the sword and by the famine until they be an end of them. God said, I'm going to destroy everybody in Israel. They just couldn't get it. Obey me, that's it. And he wasn't going to accept prayers for Israel at this point because he told Jeremiah, don't you pray for this people. I will not hear your prayers. He told Ezekiel, don't pray for them. He told Ezekiel in the 14th chapter of Ezekiel, if Job and Moses and Daniel were here, I'll only hear their prayer, but I won't hear for Israel. I believe it's too late for America. There ain't no need praying for America. It's gone down the drain. It's all the lying preachers in the pulpit. This fellow that called me yesterday and this lady that called me, she said, I've been looking for the truth for 25 years, and I didn't know there's anybody preaching it out there. She said, the preachers are all lying. I've gone from church to church, and none of them are saying any truth. Jeremiah forty four twenty nine, And this shall be a sign unto you, saith the Lord, I will punish you in this place, that you may know that my words shall surely stand against you, Israel, for evil. You need to give this guy this paper. I know. Jeremiah 45 and 5. Behold, I will bring evil upon all flesh in Israel. That's tough, isn't it? Jeremiah 49, 37. God says, I will bring evil upon them, even my fierce anger, saith the Lord, and I will send the sword after them till I have consumed Israel. That sounds like evil, doesn't it? He's going to destroy them because they went after these other gods all the time. They were a nation. They went after hundreds of gods. You can read about them in the first few verses of the ninth chapter of Ezra. In chapter 51, Jeremiah speaks of all the evil that God is going to bring upon Babylon because they destroyed Israel. I don't even understand that. God tells Babylon, puts it into their minds, Go destroy Israel. So Babylon goes and destroys Israel. Then after they destroy him, after several generations, he says, Babylon, I'm going to destroy you for destroying Israel. I can't understand that. Figure that out. He says, you can't think like I think. He can make people evil and destroy them for being evil. That's what he does to the vessels of wrath that are fitted to destruction. They're evil. They don't have any righteousness in them. So he says, because I made you evil, I'm going to destroy you and put you in hell. How do you like that? The reason I believe it, the Bible says so. Let me read some more of these. Jeremiah 49, 37. Notice in Jeremiah, Jeremiah is the last prophet in Israel that's prophesying against Israel while they're being destroyed. That's why there's so much in Jeremiah about this. 
God says, Jeremiah, you go preach in every gate of the city, in the gate of the temple, and tell them all, Nebuchadnezzar's coming, destruction's coming. I will bring evil upon them. Even my fierce anger, saith the Lord, and I will send the sword after them till I've consumed them. Then Jeremiah 51. 51.24 I will render unto Babylon and to all the inhabitants of Chaldea all their evil that they've done in Zion even though I caused them to do it. Whew. Figure that out. People don't even want to deal with this. God makes men to do evil and then he takes revenge on them for doing it. But you know what? We do the same thing. A man and wife gets together and say, let's have a baby. So they come together and they say, now when our baby's born and they got our genes in them, if they misbehave, we're going to spank them. Right? They say, right. Wait a minute. Can the baby say when it's six or seven years old and says, well, I didn't ask her to be born. Yeah, they could say that and they say that. And the mom and daddy, what do they say? Well, it don't matter whether you ask to or not. You're doing it wrong. I told you not to do it. So I'm going to spank you. We do the same thing that God does. We come together to have children. We say, if you misbehave, I'll spank you. And we know they're going to misbehave. We blame God for doing it, but we do the same thing. Lordy me. Ain't this something... Lamentations 3. I love Lamentations. Lamentations is Jeremiah's lamenting over Israel that's been carried away and Jerusalem has been destroyed and the temple has been destroyed and they're over here in Babylon. They don't have a temple. They don't have a God to serve. They have no law. They have nothing. And Jeremiah's lamenting over them. Book of Lamentations, I think, is the saddest book in the Bible. That's Jeremiah weeping over Israel for being so corrupt and being carried away. Lamentations 3, 37, 38, and 39. Who is he that saith it cometh to pass when the Lord commanded it not? Out of the mouth of the Most High proceedeth not evil and good. You mean evil and good doesn't come from God? That's what it's saying. I love that. Lamentation 2.17. After Judah is destroyed and carried away into captivity, they're in Babylon captive. They were carried away naked and in chains after a slaughter that God had arranged, leaving a million or more, according to some historians, dead in the fields and the streets of Jerusalem. And God did it. Jeremiah is lamenting and weeping because of this sad situation in which his people are found. He speaks in verse 17. The Lord hath done that which he had devised. If he devised it, it's in his eternal computer. He hath fulfilled his word that he had commanded in the days of old. He hath thrown down and hath not pitied. Boy, what a, you know what you need to do when you hear that? Get on your face before God and say, God, forgive me. And he hath caused thine enemy to rejoice over thee. Notice that. 
God hath caused your enemy to whip the tar out of you and rejoice over you. And God caused it. He has caused thine enemy to rejoice over thee. He has set up the horn, which is a power, which was Babylon. There were four horns, according to Zechariah, the first chapter. The last few verses that carried Israel away into captivity. Four horns, four powers. Babylon, Persia, Greece, and Rome. It's all according to God's program. I got so much more to say on this. Ezekiel 5, 5 through 17. God speaks of Jerusalem's rebellion and idolatry. Jerusalem, the capital city of Israel. I have set her in midst of nations when she carried them, when God carried them away. And they killed millions of Israelites. God killed them. They were in captivity since they didn't repent. They were in captivity for 20 600 years and the last Assyrian that punished Israel which was according to God's arrangement was a man named Adolf Hitler and Hitler was an Assyrian and he killed 6 million Jews during World War II and that was the end of their slaughter that God brought upon them was God in that with Hitler oh yeah he was he put it in this wicked man's mind to kill the Jews and he also put it in Harry Truman's mind our president back in 45-46 he put it in Harry Truman's mind to, to declare Israel a nation to pressure the world to declare them a nation, May 14th, 1948. 1948. So Harry Truman was part of God's great, and they became a nation, and they haven't been slaughtered since. All of that was because of what went on over here. God kept having them slaughtered and he said that's enough they've had four great wars Israel has the revolutionary war came May started May 15th 1948 right after they were declared a nation on the 14th then they had the then they had the the Sinai war in 1957 they had the six day war when they became when they reclaimed Israel after 2600 years and all this evil they went through was of the Lord. So it could get them down here where Hitler could kill six million of them. Hitler does not even know, didn't even know that he was working in God's great scheme of things. He was the last Assyrian to slaughter Israel. He wasn't the only one. They've been slaughtered for thousands of years. It's amazing God arranges evil then he holds people accountable for the evil that he arranges for them to do I can't figure that out if you can figure it out you can do something I can't do 
I don't even try to figure it out. I say, God said he did that. Why don't we accept that? Where was I? Huh? Ezekiel 5. I've set her in the midst of nations and countries that are round about her, speaking of her captivity in 586. They have refused to walk in my judgments and my statutes. He said, I'll send the sword, the famine, the pestilence, and the beast. I'll send coronavirus. I'll send polio. I'll send all these other diseases. Because you've done all this idolatry and rebellion, I am against thee, Israel. Boy, how would you like to have God say that to you? And will execute judgments in your midst in the sight of all nations. This is in Ezekiel, the fifth chapter. Verse 8, I will do in thee that which I have not done by destroying you. I will make the fathers eat the sons and sons eat the fathers. What does he mean, I'll make you eat your children? He says the same thing in Jeremiah 19. Is that evil that God's going to make them do? He's going to make them be involved in cannibalism. When he said, I'll send the sword, the famine, the pestilence, he said that not only in Deuteronomy, the the 28th chapter, he said that also in Leviticus, the 26th chapter. We're going to go over Leviticus, the 26th chapter. I don't know if I can do that today. I don't think I can. He said, I'll send this sword, famine, pestilence, and beast. Verse 8 of chapter 5 of Ezekiel. This is Ezekiel telling Israel what God's going to do. I will do in thee that which I have not done by destroying you. I will make the fathers eat the sons and the sons eat the fathers. Here's how God did that. And have the enemy come in against this city against Jerusalem and he'd have them lay a siege a siege was where they wouldn't go in and attack they would just their armies would be outside surrounding them they would cut off all roads all supplies going into the city all water all necessary food and they would watch Israel starve to death they watch them starve, and then as they're starving, their children would start dying. And he says, I will make you eat your children there in Jeremiah 19 and Ezekiel, this fifth chapter. He said, I'll make you eat your children. We see them eating their children in Second Kings, the sixth chapter. I'll turn you into cannibals. You'll be so hungry, you won't have any food, you'll eat your family. And he said, the wife will turn to the husband and say, you can't have my baby. I'm going to eat her. People don't know what's in the Old Testament. That's why they don't think God will do evil. They read the New Testament and say, Jesus wasn't that way. Jesus is coming back with eyes as a flame of fire. He's going to destroy everybody that's not obedient to him. I'll make the fathers eat the sons. The sons eat the fathers. 
I won't pity anybody. I will scatter a third part to the winds. I will draw a sword after them. Mine anger shall be accomplished, and I will cause my fury to rest upon them. Talking about Israel. My fury. I, the Lord, has spoken it when I have accomplished my fury in them. I will make thee waste, desolate, and a reproach. And the Lord has spoken it when I, the Lord, shall send upon Israel the evil arrows of famine, which shall be for their destruction, which I will send to destroy you. I will increase the famine upon you. So will I send upon you famine and evil beasts, which would be Babylon, Persia, Greece, and Rome. That's the beast. Pestilence and blood shall pass through thee. I will bring sword upon you, Israel, and I, the Lord, have spoken it. It's going to be done. That's what America's going to get for disobedience. I expect The worst is yet to come. The Bible says evil men and seducers shall wax worse and worse as the end comes. And there will be great tribulation such as was not from the beginning, no, nor ever shall be. There will be tribulation like we've never seen. The coronavirus is just the beginning of this. I expect for nuclear warheads to go off in America, perhaps by ISIS or Al-Qaeda. They shall know that I am the Lord and that I, have, that I have not said in vain that I would do this evil unto them. For they shall fall by the sword, by the famine, and by the pestilence. That's Ezekiel 6, 10 through 11. Ezekiel 7, 5 and 8. Thus saith the Lord God, and evil, and only evil, behold, is come upon Judah. God has also set the precedent. He has done all this evil. I shortly pour out my fury upon you, Jerusalem and Judah. Ezekiel 14, 21, 22. This is one of my favorite verses. God says, I will send my four sword judgments upon Jerusalem. The sword, the famine, the noisome beast. Noisome doesn't mean noisy. It's the word raw. It's the same word as the tree of the knowledge of good and raw, evil. When God says, I make peace and create evil, raw. Raw is the common word evil. I'm going to make all this evil come upon you. You shall be comforted concerning the evil that I brought upon Jerusalem. Does this sound like God will send evil in the form of starvation, disease, and conquering armies? Daniel 9.12. Daniel says, God is bringing upon us a great evil. He says, God's doing it. Daniel 9.13.14. As it is written in the law of Moses, all this evil has come upon us. Therefore hath the Lord watched upon the evil and brought it upon us and all his works that he doeth. This is just one thing he says. For we obeyed not his voice. For disobedience, America's getting coronavirus. 
And this ain't all. This is the beginning of sorrows. Let me read some more of this. Daniel 9, 13, 14. As it is written in the law of Moses, all this evil has come upon us. Therefore hath the Lord watched upon the evil and brought it upon us in all his works that he doeth, for we obeyed not his voice. When you're disobedient, you want to fight the truth. Watch out for the evil. It's going to come from God. I would be so hesitant to get angry at a preacher for telling the truth. I don't even get mad at the the preachers that used to come here, young guys who think they had it together. I don't get mad at them. I just leave them alone in their ignorance as they wander down the road headed towards the wrath of God. Joel 2.13, God says that when his people repent of their wickedness, then he will turn from the evil that he is doing to them. He's doing it to them. Amos 3 and 6. Shall evil be in a city, and the Lord hath not done it? If there's evil, Amos says God did it. Amos 9 and 4. God says concerning Israel, I will set mine eyes upon them for evil and not for good. That's God talking about Israel. Jonah 3.10, God repented from the evil that he had planned to do to Nineveh when they repented. God uses evil to execute judgment on his people. Only if they repent does God turn from executing evil. But if they repent, he has to cause them to repent. Micah one twelve, evil came down from the Lord. How's that? That's real simple. Evil come down from God. Micah one twelve. Micah two and three. Thus saith the Lord against this family, I do devise an evil. God said that. Boy, when you get into Isaiah forty five and seven, I make peace and create evil. You don't even know what that's about when you argue with it. It's about God calling Cyrus and the Babylonians and the Persians in to destroy to destroy Babylon. And they leave people dead in the streets and they rape and ravish the women. God says, I was behind every bit of that. Job said in Job 30 and 21, God is a cruel God. He said, God took me by the neck and shook me to pieces when he killed my seven sons and three daughters, and it was God that did it. God says, I've been afflicted, Job 31, 10, and 11. God is sovereign over everything, Job 26, 1 through 14. Job said, God broke me asunder and shook me to pieces in Job 16, 12 through 16. God has overthrown me and encompassed me with a net, Job 19, 6 through 13. God chooses our ways in Psalms 25 and 12. The word of the Lord is right in all his works, good and evil, or in truth, Psalms 33 and 4. God knows all his works from the beginning, Acts 15, 14 through 18. No man has free will to plan evil in Psalms 33, 10, 11, and 12. 
That'll be enough reading on this. Now, we're in a computer program. It's all something God has arranged. When we begin to realize that, that this thing has been programmed from the beginning. He's declared the end from the beginning. When the Bible says, I know that what God doeth it shall be forever, Ecclesiastes 3, 14, he says, what God does is forever, Olam. And he does all the evil and all the good and it always has been in the mind of God and it always will be. That's what Olam means. So, we as believers, when you're having a hard time in life with your rent or with something in your finances, don't gripe about it. Believe God. Say, this is of you and it's all for my good. It's like that right turn and that 49 forward. God had to, God gave me this big, huge tenor voice so I could go out and impress myself. Because <laughs> that's about all I could do. And then when I was turned 40, he gave me bronchial pneumonia and asthma that I couldn't hardly breathe. And he took my voice away. And it was all for my good. If I had kept that huge voice that I used to have, there's no way I would have quit music. I would have fought people to the end. And that's what I was doing. I was fighting a losing battle. I was trying to climb the world's ladder. I was trying to climb the gospel singer's ladder. And they built the ladder, and they set all the rules, and I was trying to get on the ladder and break the rules. And you can't do that. You can't go to work for a company and break the rules and get to stay and work yourself to the top. I was trying to play a ball in a ball game that belonged to other people. They set the rules. It was their ballpark and their ball game. Don't get angry at the world when they won't let you climb their ladder. Because that's the arrangement of God. He's got our minds set. We can't go mix with the world. Have no fellowship with unfruitful works of darkness, but rather rebuke them. I couldn't be in music. I had the voice, but I could not be a part of them. It was like being in nightclubs is crazy. I would go into some big club and I would notice during the day when we're setting up our equipment, I would notice that nothing was evil about the walls in the afternoon. There was nobody drinking at the bar, but when all the people come in, you could feel the evil that was there. And it was men chasing women, being unfaithful to their wives, drugging, drinking, getting drunk, telling dirty jokes, cuss words, just... It was the people that had the wicked hearts, not the walls of a bar. There's no evil in oak or pine. No evil in that. It's just in the people's hearts. We're in We're in God's arrangement. You remember the word cosmos means an orderly arrangement. That's a part of the 
of the computer of God. Cosmos means orderly arrangement. That's the word John three in John three sixteen, world. And God didn't love everybody in the world. That wouldn't be out of the. That would be a glitch. Or what do you call it? Scam, a spam in God's computer. There would be no spam in his computer to say he loved everybody in the world. He so loved the world, so as an adverb tells how and what fashion God loved. It modifies the verb loved agape. He loved the world in this fashion. Loved the orderly arrangement of God. There's several words that means orderly arrangement. There's the word there's the word stoichion, S-T-O-I-C-H-E-I-O-N. Stoichion means an arrangement of the rituals and the and the temple. You had the word tasso. As many as were ordained to eternal life believed. That's a part of God's arrangement. It means an orderly arrangement. If there's an early arrangement by God, that means he set this whole computer up and it's going the way he wants it to go. So why are we complaining about it? I complained about it for years, but at 81 years old, I have woke up to my own message and stopped complaining. I was complaining in my 50s, even at up to 60, 61, 62. And the older I get, the more I realize this is God's doing everything. It's just a computer program. Do you know that, and what I was going to bring out, and I'll bring it out next week, and I didn't get to, when you come to the realization this is God's program, you can rest in that. That's the spiritual Sabbath. Spiritual Sabbath. That's what happens when you realize. I preached predestination for years. It wasn't until I got in my early, mid-60s I began to realize what my own message was. Stop fighting. Stop fighting the order of God, the order arrangement of God. Let it, it is what it is. I got a t-shirt that said, predestination, it is what it is. I have people say, what does that mean? I say, it means, it means exactly what it says. You can't say, I don't like predestination. It's in the Bible. But it's the word prohorenzo. We are in God's great arrangement. It's a computer system that he set up. He had entered before the foundation of the world. Everything's going to click, click, click. And it's coming into view. If we come to that, we'll quit griping. We'll quit complaining. We'll quit fighting each other. We'll say, well, it's what God wants. Anybody dies that's associated with the ministry, I say, well, you know, this is the will of God. Your mother may not have known that, but you know that. That's the will of God. God set a time for every person to die. There's a time to die. There's nothing going on. It, do I have any more time, Mike? Two. Two minutes. I got so much more to say on this. God is determined the counsel of everything that's to be done in Acts 4.28. Everything that is in the Bible is about predestination. It's about God pre-ordering us to obey Him.
That's what predestination is about. God says, I'll do all my pleasure, everything I want to do. He works all things after the counts of his own will. He says, and everything that's going on, give thanks. You mean coronavirus? Yeah. People dying from it? Yes. A car wreck? Yes. Getting hospitalized? Yes. It's all in God's sovereign will. And then he says, we know that all things work together for good. All things, every right turn, left turn, everything we do works together for our good. According to his purpose, known unto God are all his works from the beginning. All of his works are part of his computer. It's We think we invented something as men when we invented the computer. He already done that millions of years ago. Nobody... There's not anything new under the sun. God has already thought of it. He said, new things I declare before they spring forth, so you can't take credit for it. That's over in Isaiah 42 and 9. I declare everything that's going to happen before it happens. I got so much on this. I'm going to come back next week. And I'm going to go into the spiritual Sabbath. I keep saying I'm going to go into that. But I was just walking around yesterday and I had on that shirt. And somebody, what does that mean? We're robots. I said, well, we are. I said, he's written upon fleshy tables of our heart there in Second Corinthians, the third chapter, and Hebrews, the eighth chapter. He's written on fleshy tables of our hearts. Hebrews, the ninth chapter, written in our hearts. He shed abroad his love in our hearts. Loves agape as walking in his commandments and is written in our hearts. And does he require that we do that? Yeah, he does. Let's pray. Father, thank you for truth. Lord, let us rest in all these things. As robots, as your spiritual robots, we seem to want to fight back at you when we fight people. Let us not do that, do that Lord. Teach us to Accept what is, because you've ordained it all. Thank you for truth and everything you do. In Christ's name we pray, amen. You people out there that belong to grace and truth, we need camera people. We only had one camera today. Those of you that can, please come, come and stay in touch with us. We need you here to run the cameras. Don't disappoint me and stay away. Because most of you I know are not doing nothing. The least you could do is run a camera. Some of you are working, but some are not.